Beginning with verse 1, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. But I go, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am there you may be also. And where I go you know, and the way you know. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going, and how can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Then Revelation chapter 21, they'll put that up beginning with verse 1. Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are faithful and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. He who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God And he shall be my son, but the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Then Luke chapter 23, verse 43, and Jesus said to him, talking to the thief who hanged by his side, surely I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. For the next few moments, the Lord willing, I want to share with you a series that we're starting simply entitled Eternity, Fact, or Fiction. How many of you have heard the term lately, fake news? I want to tell you today, I didn't come with fake news, but I come with good news. Eternity, Fact, or Fiction. In a May 2016 Gallup poll, 71% of Americans surveyed believe in heaven, while 64% in this same survey say they believe in hell. LifeWay Research found that 6 in 10 say everyone eventually goes to heaven, but half say only those who believe in Jesus will be saved. While 7 in 10 say there's only one true God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, two-thirds say God accepts worship of all faiths. Most people believe that they will uh, go to heaven immediately when they die. They believe they'll be reunited with loved ones and who have gone on before them. My message this morning I title simply Eternity, Fact, or Fiction. I want to separate the fact from the fiction concerning eternity. I want to talk to you about the truth of eternity, what the Bible really says about heaven and what the Bible really says about hell. Is heaven a reality? Is there a literal hell? These truths have come under attack in the days that we live in. They've come under attack in the last few years. And I want to assure you that heaven is a reality. If you believe that, say amen. Billy Graham writes, he said, heaven not only exists, but God wants us to know that it exists. And he also wants us to know that when we die, we can go and be with him in heaven forever. Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. 
I found this. It said, Philip Yancey said one day when George MacDonald, the great Scottish preacher and writer, was talking with his son, the conversation turned to heaven and the prophet's version of the end of all things. It seems too good to be true, the son said at one point. A smile crossed MacDonald's face. He said, nay, it is just so good it must be true. There's a heaven to gain this morning and a hell to shun. We need to remind people today that there is an afterlife. The Bible says in Hebrews 9, 27, And as it is appointed for men to die once, but after this, the judgment. There is an after this. We're going to spend eternity either in heaven or a hell that was prepared for the devil and his angels. James, the half-brother of Jesus, wrote these words in James 4, 14. Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little while, and then it vanishes away. Moses is quoted in Psalms chapter 90, verse 10. The days of our lives are 70 years, and if by reason of strength they are 80 years, yet your boast is only labor and sorrow, for it is soon cut off and we fly away. In Luke 16, there's a parable about a rich man and a beggar by the name of Lazarus. The Bible says this rich man lived in luxury. He had everything that money could buy, while Lazarus was full of sores and begging for crumbs from the rich man's table. They both die. Lazarus is ushered into Abraham's bosom while the rich man goes to hell. Francis Dixon says this is a photograph of the other side of the grave. Listen to Luke 16, 23. And being in torments in Hades, he lifted up his eyes and he saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. What does the Bible teach us concerning hell? Well, Pastor Alan Carr writes, he says, no matter how you approach the subject, hell is an awful thought. Hell is a place where there's eternal torment and pain and unquenchable flames. Hell is a place of terrible memories and horrible thirst. Hell is a place of eternal separation from everything of beauty that resides in this world. Hell is a place of eternal separation from the presence of God. Hell is a place prepared for the devil and his angels, but all those who reject Jesus Christ as their Savior will go there for all eternity. Hell would be a terrible place to spend eternity. One source I read said that Jesus spoke of hell more than he spoke of heaven. Listen to Billy Graham. Hell does exist. It isn't just something religious people dreamed up. I know it because Jesus warned us about it. And Jesus spoke with full authority of God himself. Hell is, he called hell a place of darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, according to Matthew 25, 30. I want you to listen to what the scripture says about this place of eternal separation. In Luke 16, 23, it's a place of eternal torment for the ungodly. In Matthew 22, 33, it's a place of eternal punishment for those condemned by God. I don't want to hear the words, depart from me, you worker of iniquity. I want to hear the words, well done, you good and faithful servant. Do you know there's no hope in hell? Think about that. There's no hope in hell. Mark chapter 9 verse 43 says the fire shall never be quenched. There's no song in hell. How many of you enjoyed the music this morning? How many of you were blessed by our worship this morning? No song in hell. No joy in hell. There will be, un but there's going to be prayer in hell. Unanswered prayer in hell. Listen in Luke 16, 24. The rich man prayed. He cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am tormented in this flame. 
I read this illustration. The story is told of a Jewish woman in New York City who was approached by a Christian. He began to tell her of the Lord Jesus Christ and her need of salvation. He explained that she was a sinner and was going to hell. She cried out, I don't believe in hell. Why not, asked the, uh, the Christian. Because six million of my Jewish brothers and sisters were murdered at the hands of Adolf Hitler and his Nazis. I cannot believe that they will all go to hell. He then asked her, ma'am, so I'm supposed that when you get to heaven and you walk down streets of gold, you'll see Adolf Hitler there. Will you tell him hello for me? Adolf Hitler, she shouted, why he won't be in heaven, he'll be in hell. Even this woman saw that hell was a right place to punish sinful men. We must prepare for eternity. Where will you spend eternity? I have good news. You don't have to spend eternity in hell. I love the words of 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. The Bible said, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9 from the Amplified Bible, it says, The Lord does not delay as though he were unable to act. He is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is extraordinarily patient towards you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. In Ezekiel 33, 11, it says say to them as I live says the Lord God I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked but that the wicked turn from his way and live turn from your evil ways and why should you die O house of Israel God doesn't take pleasure in, in God's not this mean spirited hard father that's sitting up in heaven waiting on you to mess up so he can push you into hell no he takes no pleasure in that he's not willing that one person should be lost but he wants every believer every person to be saved he wants everybody to be saved he's made provision in his word for you and I to spend eternity in his presence I didn't come this morning to talk to you about hell I, I came to talk about heaven you said yeah but all you've talked about so far is hell I want to talk to you this morning about heaven what is heaven like You'll hear people often quote the scripture. It says, I have not seen, ears not heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man what God has prepared for his people. But often they quote that out of context because the very next verse says this. It says, but God has revealed them unto us by his spirit. In just a few weeks, we're going to start teaching the book of Revelation on Wednesday night. And we're going to go through that book and talk about that book. Oftentimes when we read that book, we don't understand that God was giving John a glimpse into the future and he was using first century language and first century understanding to, to try to describe something he was seeing in the future. He didn't have a frame of reference to describe that. So it takes the Holy Spirit for us to unlock and understand the scriptures. That's why the Bible says that the letter kills but the spirit gives life. If I take this holy book, this holy book right here and I use it Without the Holy Spirit inspiring and anointing me, it'll produce legalism. It'll bring people into bondage. You see, Jesus didn't come to produce religion. Jesus didn't come to produce legalism and bondage. But Jesus came to set the captive free. He came to liberate us from that. So what, let's talk about heaven. Let's talk about this eternal place that God has reserved for those who have called on his name and made him Lord of their life. First of all, I want to talk to you about heaven's wonder. In John chapter 14, in our text, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. Now, that's not a mansion that has nine bedrooms. 
It's not a mansion with color TV and gigabyte internet. It's not a mansion with an indoor pool. We tend to think about it, oh, I'm going to have a mansion when I get to heaven. The word literally is translated as dwelling places or rooms. It's really, who cares about whether you're going to live in when you get to heaven? You're going to see Jesus. <laughs> Hallelujah. It says, in my Father's house are many mansions. Now, if you're going to get a mansion, please don't let me discourage you. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am there you may be also. Notice, first of all, that heaven is a prepared place. And Jesus refers to heaven as the Father's house. In Revelation chapter 4, verse 1, it says, After these things I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard, like a trumpet speaking with me, saying, Come up here, and I will show you things which must take place after this. What did John see? Well, in verse 2, it says, Immediately I was in the Spirit. Behold, a throne set in heaven, one set on the throne. And he who sat there was like a jasper and a sardis stone in appearance. And there was a rainbow around the throne in appearance like an emerald. Around the throne were 24 thrones, and the thrones I saw 24 elders sitting, clothed in white robes, and they had crowns of gold on their heads. And from the throne proceeded lightnings, thunderings, and voices. Seven lamps of fire were burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Before the throne there was a sea of glass like crystal. In the midst of the throne and around the throne were four living creatures full of eyes in front and back. And the first living creature was like a lion, the second living creature like a calf, the third living creature had a face like a man, and the fourth living creature was like a flying eagle. The four living creatures each had six wings, were full of eyes around and within, and they did not rest day and night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him, before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever and cast their crowns before the Lord saying, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power for you create all things and by your will they exist and were created. What's going on in heaven? Two things. First of all, prayer. That's why it's important that you and I have a prayer life, that you and I develop that discipline of prayer in our life, that we take time every single day to commune with God, to fellowship with the Lord, to have a conversation with him and allow him to speak to our hearts. Prayer, Romans 8, 34, who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God who makes intercession for us. Jesus is praying to the Father on our behalf in heaven right now. So when I pray, my prayers are connecting with the prayers of heaven. And the Bible tells us that they're bowls that are full of intercession. No prayer that I pray goes unnoticed. It never really goes unanswered. Now, we think God didn't hear me because we're Americans. And if we have to wait in line more than seven minutes, we feel like our constitutional rights have been breached. I should never have to wait for my food at the restaurant. I should never have to wait for the computer to buffer. Sometimes the Lord says, wait. Everybody say that. Wait. Sometimes the Lord says, yes. Everybody say that. Y'all said that with a lot more passion than you said, wait. Sometimes the Lord says, no. Everybody say that. You didn't say that with a lot of passion either. Amen. But the prayer bowls get full. And then he tips them over into the earth. Prayer. Then secondly, there's worship in heaven. 
In Revelation chapter 4, verse 10 and 11, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. And they cast their crowns before the throne saying, you are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they exist and were created. There's worship in heaven. When we worship, our worship connects with heaven. Our worship connect. that's you remember we used to sing an old song that said, heaven came down and glory filled my soul. Listen, you want heaven to come down, you connect with the worship in heaven. Let me tell you what the angels are doing. They're crying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. There's worship going on in heaven. Therefore, there should be worship going on in, in here. And worship is not just clapping my hands and dancing before the Lord and lifting my hands. Worship is 50% fear and trembling and 50% rejoicing. What is fear and trembling? That don't mean that I'm afraid, oh Lord, the Lord's going to get me. It's a reverence. It's a reverential awe. See, the fear of God will keep you from sin. The fear of God will keep you from disobedience. The fear of God will keep you in his will. And worship will produce the fear of God. If all it produces is a little light, fluffy feeling that makes me feel better, I worry about that. Worship is rejoicing. It is reverence. The word worship, this is not in my notes, but I'm going to preach right here a minute. The word worship comes from the word worth. It's ascribing worth. He's worthy. He's worthy to receive praise. He's worthy to receive our worship. And worship is not for God's benefit. He enjoys it. The Bible says in Psalms 22 that he comes and inhabits. That word in the Hebrew means enthrones. In other words, God moves his throne right in the midst of our worship. That's why when we incorporate worship, sometimes we worship, the presence of the Lord comes in a very real way and manifests himself. What is that? That's the throne of God moving in the midst of our worship. That's heaven coming down. See, you remember what he said in Revelation 4? What? Come up. Heaven's up. Heaven's not down. Heaven's up. Read the scriptures. Jesus was taken up into the heavens. In Acts chapter 1, verse 10 and 11. And the angel said, you men of Galilee, why are you stand gazing up into the heavens? This same Jesus who was taken from you will so come again in like manner. It's the Father's house. It's the place called paradise. It's the third heaven. It's the abode of God. And in that place, there's prayer going on. And there's worship going on before the throne of God. So I don't know about you, but I want to worship. <laughs> so let me share some of what the scripture reveals about heaven. First of all. We learned there's streets of gold like transparent glass. It's not gold like this gold that we have that's mixed with different metals. To, but it's gold like transparent glass. Stories told of a man who found out it was his time to go to heaven. And he asked the Lord if he could bring one thing. The Lord said no. And finally, after many requests, the Lord says you can bring one thing. And happily, the man packed his suitcase full of gold. When he arrived in heaven, the angel said, sorry, you can't bring that in here. He said, but the Lord said that it would be okay. They said, by the way, what's in there anyway? And the man opened the bag and they looked in and the angel said, oh, it's just pavement. Think about the thing that we value the most, the thing that we give such value to. The Lord paves the streets with it. Hallelujah. Twelve foundations, each made of precious stone. Twelve gates, three per wall, each made of a single pearl. They're not pearly gates. They're gates of pearl made of pure pearl. The gates are open because there's 
no night, the Lamb of God is a light. Revelation 21, 4, no more tears, pain, sorrow, and death. That'll be worth heaven right there. Revelation 21, 8, no sin. Revelation 22, 3, no curse. Heaven's a glorious city. Perhaps the best thing about heaven not will be the streets of gold or the gates of pearl or the walls of jasper, but the best thing about heaven will be Jesus. The Lamb of God who took away my sins. The one who died in my place. The one who came and became a ransom for many. The one who pardoned me when he found me in my disobedience and my rebellion. The one who found me on my way to hell and says, I don't want you to go to hell, but I have a place prepared for you in my Father's house, picked out just for you. There's a mansion on the other side of glory. There's a hillside that I've given to you, and I want you to be there. So he went in my place to the cross. He suffered my death. He died my death. He suffered my pain. He he writhed in agony and when he cried it is finished he did it for me he did it for you and now we have a home in heaven hallelujah because of what the Lord Jesus Christ did in Revelation 21 22 and 23 but I saw no temple in it for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple the city had no need of the sun or the moon to shine in it for the glory of God illuminated it and the Lamb is its light I love the words of that old chorus that we used to sing won't it be wonderful there having no burdens to bear Joyously singing with heart bells all ringing, won't it be wonderful there? Heaven's wonder, but then there's heaven's worth. As Christians, we battle trials, we labor, we toil. The Apostle Paul wrote these words of encouragement to us in Galatians 6, 9. Let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. The King James Version says it this way. We shall reap if we faint not. I love that. We shall reap... If we faint, not. We face temptations in this life. We face the world, the flesh, and the devil. 1 John 2, 15-17. Do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away, and it's lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. Matthew 7, 24 through 27, Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man. He built his house on the rock, and the rains descended. The floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand, and the rain descended. The floods came, the winds blew, and beat on that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. I believe heaven will be worth every attack, every persecution, every trial, and every sacrifice. Listen to what James said in James chapter 1, verse 2 and 3. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. 1 Peter 4, 12 through 13. Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings. That when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. And then I love these words in Romans 8, 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Heaven's wonder. Heaven has worth. But thirdly, I want you to simply know heaven is waiting. I found this outline about heaven. It's promised. It's purchased. It's prepared. And it's perfect. I want you to know that there's an eternal reward for the believer who lives faithfully for the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't earn heaven because we're good. We don't go to heaven because mom and daddy are saved. We qualify for heaven through the blood sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ at Calvary's Carlson. 
You can't go to heaven and say, hey, I'm, my name's Bailey. Can I get a pass into heaven? You can't go to heaven and say, I was a member of the Pentecostal Holiness Church. Can I get a pass into heaven? You can't go to heaven and say, I, I, I'm a Southern Baptist, or I'm a Methodist, or I'm Presbyterian, or I'm a Charismatic, or a Crazy-matic, or whatever. It's not our pedigree. It's the blood. It's the blood sacrifice of Calvary that makes us ready for heaven. I was a six-year-old boy when I first encountered God. My family went to the Taylor Memorial Pentecostal Holiness Church. Brother Zeb Smith, some of you remember him. He was our superintendent years ago. He's been in heaven many years. But he was the pastor, and it was on a Sunday night, I believe. It's hard to remember a whole lot of things. I was trying to remember my first grade teacher's name the other day and couldn't remember it. <laughs> but I remember this. I got under conviction as a six-year-old boy, and I walked down the aisle of the church. And in those days, the women prayed on that side, and the men prayed on that side. And I got over there among the women because I knew who could pray. Amen. And I prayed, and the Lord saved me. But about 14, I made a solid commitment. But my first encounter with God was at six years old. That made me ready for heaven. Why? Because he imparted his holiness into me. Old things passed away. All things became new. And I became a new creation in Christ Jesus. Let me give you a couple of scriptures, and then I'm finished. 1 John 1, 7, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Ephesians 2, 13, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Revelation 1, 5, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler over the kings of the earth to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. How do we qualify for heaven? John 6, 47, most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. And then in John 3, 3, Jesus answered and said to him, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but they should come but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Some years ago, Beth and I were pastoring in Maryland. And we had a family there. Her mother was diagnosed with cancer, told that she didn't have very long to live. The mother had never made a profession of faith. I don't know that the mother had ever been to our church or ever even came to a service. Me and one of my deacons went to the hospital several times. And every time we would try to talk to this lady or pray with this lady, she would just turn away and her, her countenance would be like fixed and she, wouldn't, she didn't want to hear a word that we had to say. We knew she don't want to hear what we have to say. Michaela was very little in those days, and because we lived away, we didn't have a lot of help with babysitters. We didn't have grandparents there. Thank God for grandparents, amen? And we had to rely on people, and many people worked, and, and she would stay with Michaela many times during the day. And She came to me, and she said, I believe that I'm supposed to go with you to visit this lady. I've had this lady on my heart and on my mind, and I'm supposed to go with you to visit this lady. So we found a babysitter, and we arranged it, and we went to the home. By this time she was at home, hospice was coming in. I'll never forget this. We walked into that room, and I'm telling you, the multiple times I had visited her, no response. And Beth walked into the room, and she said, I've come here today, and the Lord told me to tell you, he has heaven for you. He has heaven for you. Her countenance changed. She said, would you pray with me? She said, yes. And that lady, weeks away from going home, prayed. And asked Jesus into her heart and her life that day. She was gloriously saved that day. Because a young mother said, God has heaven for you. And I believe one day we'll see her again. Because she was ready for heaven. Her whole life had been lived in doing her own thing. But on that day, 
Jesus came and encountered her with his love and with his grace. And when we left there, she had a smile and a radiance on her face because a young mother, my precious wife, obeyed God and told her, God has heaven for you. Stand with me. I want you to know today God has heaven for you.